you have your Bibles, will you turn with me to the book of Mark? Thank you, Benjamin, for filling in for me and helping. Well, he's been out now, but I'll thank him later. He uh, kept it going. Sometimes the Lord just does that and, and just, just kind of overwhelms you sometimes. And I thank, I thank him for that. <clears throat> this morning we're going to look at Mark chapter 12 with the aspect of loving God and loving others. And Jesus is going to sum up these two commands this morning as pertains to the law. Now we think about the law, we think about the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. You know, we're thinking of Exodus 20, we're thinking of the Ten Commandments. So Jesus is going to sum up loving God and loving others, and that is going to be uh, the two commandments that Jesus uh, will, will, will use. Evangelist Fred Brown, he uses three images for the purpose of the law. And this morning, I think that his reflection on the purposes and his illustration is worthy to repeat. So I'm going to use his illustration this morning. First, he likened the law as a dentist's little mirror. Now I'm going to the dentist, not next week, week after next. And I'm sure the, little, the dentist is going to break out that little mirror and he's going to show it down in my mouth. And he's going to probably see some areas that need some attention, uh, some imperfections. Just like with that little mirror, though, that's how the law is. Now, he finds a cavity. He doesn't jam that mirror in my cavity and try to fix it. He doesn't say, I'm going to correct that. I'm going to clean your teeth with this mirror. No. The mirror is, it shows what is wrong in your mouth. It shows any abnormalities. It shows that, it, hey, you need, you need, you got a cavity here. It needs filling. It's not the solution, but it shows the problem. But he drew another illustration. It was like this. You have a flashlight. And say there's a bad storm that comes overhead. We've had quite a few uh, this summer come through here. And just say that uh, a, a fuse blows or something. And you get your flashlight out. And you go to the fuse box. And you, you open it up. You shine the, the flashlight in there. And you find the fuse is blown. You don't take the fuse out and jam your flashlight in there. No, that's not the remedy. The flashlight only shows you the problem. The law only showed the problem. It didn't supply the remedy. Of course, the remedy for us this morning, thank the Lord, is Jesus Christ. But the law showed us of our imperfections. And third was like a plumb line. A plumb line that a builder wants to check his work. He would take a weighted string and line it up, see if he can't get the true vertical. But he finds a mistake. He doesn't take the plumb line and try to fix it. He'll break out the saw. He'll break out his hammer. He'll break out his nails. And he'll go to town to try to fix the problem. The plumb line didn't supply or didn't, wasn't able to correct. It only showed what the problem was. So the law is, that is, to, is for us in time history till now was a type of a blueprint, an x-ray. It showed the problem. And it finds the mistake. And Jesus is the remedy. In God's economy, that's how it works. God gives us that there is a problem. And our problem is sin. The problem is that we are born in sin. Our problem is that we are born away from God in a sinful nature. And the law reflects that. The solution is not in the law. The solution is in Jesus Christ. 
Another purpose of the law is to bring humanity to a place of peace. Or in the Hebrew language, you've heard the word shalom. Peace. The Hebrew word shalom of peace. The idea of this Hebrew word isn't as if a... Well, like we would define peace as a time when there is not war. For them, it would have meant a time of perpetual human flourishing, loving God and loving others. The problem is that it takes God to enable humanity to live the law. That's the paradox there. We are commanded to live right, but we aren't able to do it by ourselves. But God allows us to do that. He enables us to keep His law. Loving God and loving others. The total antithesis of loving your neighbor and loving God. And then I'm going to use an illustration from a, from a man uh, that, I, that I have a conversation with. His name is Anthony. This is a real name. I'm not, I'm not going to give his last name. I'll give his first name as a reference. And I have his, his quotes. And I'm using this illustration to just, to just really show you the, the extreme of how a person that is bitter with God and bitter with their fellow man can look. Okay? This is the extreme. Alright, here we go. Anthony. We'll call him Anthony. That's his, his name. He said this. This is his prayer. Verbatim. I wrote it down. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that Tony, I pray Debbie, and I pray that Marvin pass away and go to their grave where they belong. Amen. This was his prayer. That doesn't sound like loving God and loving others to me. He goes on to say this. I will pray these prayers until Debbie and Tony are gone. That doesn't end there. He says this. God hears prayers that are His will and not mine. I will pray that these people will pass away every day. Can you imagine praying that? <laughs> To somebody to pass away. Now there are a lot of problems on the surface of this, yes. That, it, that he is saying as if he knows the ultimate will of God for a person's life. There is the first problem. The other problem is that Jesus said right out to love those and pray for those that persecute you. And of course he goes against that. Uh, this is straight from a person who says they are Christian and these other people, these other names, they name the name of Christ as well. So this person thinks as if he's going to use God like some little, like some little voodoo doll to invoke damage on the, or revenge on his enemies. And just a side note, that's what the pagans used to do back in the ancient times. They would dance and chant and do rituals to try to uh, invoke a God so they can do damage on their enemy. Very, very uh, paganistic, uh, uh, an idea of idolatry here. I want us to look today with keeping this in mind. Just keep in mind this total opposite of what Jesus is going to say as he sums up the two laws. We are called to love God and we are called to love others. And if you are born of the Spirit of God, if you are born again, I submit to you this morning, that is exactly what you'll do. You will love God and you will love others. It's just, it just will be engrafted in our nature because He will change us. Before I do, let us get into the, uh, before we get into the Word, let me pray for us. 
that the Lord will speak through this message as He has spoken to me. Father, thank You today for the, uh, for the Word. We ask You, God, that You would help uh, me as, uh, as a minister uh, to be able to expound on what You have, uh, what you have shown me in the, in the study, what You have revealed to me in, in the times of study and meditation throughout the week. I ask You, Father, that You will use it to speak to hearts and minds as it has spoken to me this week. I thank You and I do praise You for Christ Jesus. Amen. Number one, there's the question of the ages. The question of the ages. No matter what religion, no matter what world religion, no matter what sub-religion or cult, there has always been a burning question throughout all of the world religions. Mankind has had one burning question, and that, that is how can I be righteous? Or how can I do right? Or what is the differentiation between right and wrong? What is the difference between right and wrong? How do I achieve a measure of righteousness? Sometimes another religion might say, how might I be like God? The only way we can be like God is to be like Christ. Mark 28, sorry, verse 28, chapter 12. One of the scribes came up and, and, and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, he said, which commandment is the most important of all? The question of the ages. Which commandment is the most important of all? Now this seems to be a genuine inquiry from the scribe. I mean, a genuine and sincere question. He had heard, chances are he had heard Jesus disputing with the Pharisees, he has heard Jesus disputing with the scribes earlier on. Last week, we saw how he disputed with the Sadducees. And so chances are, he heard, he heard them. Especially last week when we looked at the resurrection. The resurrection. And so, he has in mind, he knows they've been disputing. So, it's a, a genuine seeker of truth. The only time in the gospel where you're going to hear a scribe actually commended for his question and his seeking. The rest of the time it's in a negative way. This is the only time we see it here where a scribe is commended for his, for his seeking. You, you've almost got there, he, Jesus will say. Now in the Old Testament, the old law, say like Leviticus, the Levitical law, the scribes here, which was like your guys with the doctorates or PhDs or something like that, they would have identified 613 laws, separate outside of God's moral law, something that we would call the Ten Commandments. 613 outside of the Ten Commandments. They separated these 613 into two camps. One camp being of 365 laws, that were good, or negative, I should say. And then on the other side of that were 248 that were positive. Say like the 365 were, thou shalt not, or you do this, you do that. And the other positive was, if you do this, I will do this. If you do this, I will bless you, or, or something uh, in regards to that. And he asked them, he says, which commandment is the most important of all. So this would be the question of the ages, the question permeating through time. What is the most important of them all? Now he was asked, 
And it seems like the scribe is not trying to catch Jesus in some type of, of trap. He's genuinely seeking the word of the Lord and the command from God. He's genuinely seeking truth here. Not trying to trip Jesus up. Jesus tells the scribe later on that he is not too far from the kingdom of God. You're, you're on the right track, he might say, in other words. Love one another in all actuality our human nature is against loving God. You can't love God and love others without Him being uh, enabling you to do that. It's impossible. Our human nature is bent towards being selfish. Our human nature outside of God is selfish. Men love the darkness more than they do light. They, we are selfish without God intervening. The new nature that is brought on by the Holy Spirit of God is an affectionate one. Loving God and loving others. Much of the uh, introduction to the Ten Commandments was thou shalt not. Prohibitions. Thou shalt not. A new commandment would be in the positive. That is, we, we look to secure obedience. Coming as it is from the mouth of Jesus Himself who is the pinnacle of love Incarnate. Jesus is the reflection of love. Incarnate. He says this, love one another. Love one another. Thank God He is merciful. Thank God that He has grace because we are a selfish bunch. And I hope and pray that we as a body of believers this morning are asking the same questions. I hope and pray that we are. Lord, what is your commands? You know how you find out the, the commands of God? The commands of Christ? You know how you find those out? You read the Bible. You know how you find out the commands of, of Christ when He was here on earth? You read the Bible. You want to find out what Paul was saying to the church to try to edify the body of believers? You read the Bible. You want to find out the will of God and the commands of God? Search the Scriptures. Now these two commandments here that Jesus is going to leave, which we're, going to, we're about to see, uh, this, uh, what we're going to find out, is not just for the Hebrew, not just for the Jew, it extends into the Gentile believers, it extends down into the church, it extends to us. The only difference is now that the Holy Spirit writes the law on our heart. We know that we shall not kill, we know that we don't steal, we know that we love one another, because God writes that on our heart. The Holy Spirit changes our nature. We don't have to go around with the Ten Commandments in our pocket and pull them out and say, Ah, oh, okay, I won't come today. The Lord writes the law upon the hearts of those believers. Makes it possible for us to do what is right. Number two, the greatest commandments. These are the two greatest commandments of all time encapsulated into two. Remember, the law did not save. It only showed you the problem. Starting in verse 29, it says this, Jesus answered, the, more, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you will love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these Loving God and loving others. I don't know how simpler I can put that. Jesus' response to the question by referencing what is called in the Hebrew, the Shema, the O, hear, hear, O Israel. 
Deuteronomy 6.4, this is what they call the Shema. Oh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your might. Now this would be engrafted in every boy, girl, uh, man, woman, every Hebrew person. This would have been engrafted on their life. And although we are Christian today, right, we follow Christ and all, all we affirm a triune God. We want to study that tonight. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is a three-personage uh, God, but He is still one. I think this has been revealed in Scripture. He is a three in one. He's still one God. We still affirm that the Lord God is one, but we see Him act in history in different ways. He's always been co-equal. We're going to look at that a little more tonight as we go through the Trinity. Verse 30, Jesus is presenting here in verse 30, He is presenting to describe the first commands summed up in 1 through 4. If we were to take out Exodus 20 and read verses 1, or we read the first four commandments, we would find that this is loving God. This is our relationship between God and ourself. Jesus broke it up. One through four commandments. Loving God. And so Jesus instructs His scribes in essence to love God with your whole being. He's not saying to love Him with your heart, mind, soul, and separate these things. In essence, Jesus is saying, love the Lord with all you have. All your strength, everything, your whole being, everything you do, everything you, you go out in the street and you, you go to work or you wherever you go, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your being, with everything you do. John Wesley once said this, with all, by, all thy strength, that is the whole strength and capacity of thy understanding, will and affections. All your affections are pointed towards Him. Now, if God was the only God, then they ought not to love any other being supremely or over God. They might bow, you know, don't bow down before the idol. Don't put idols in your life. Don't have idols in your life. And as God told His children through history, He's telling us as well, cast your idols away. Anything that comes between you and God comes between you loving God with everything you have. Cast it away. Cast it out of your life. They're required to love God above all other things and with all the faculties of their mind. God gave us a brain. You notice in that that God said to love Him with our minds too. Fill your minds with the things of God. Fill your mind with His Word. We worship Him that way as well. Fill our minds with things of God. Learn His ways. Love your neighbor as yourself in verse 31. This would be the last part of the moral law. If we were to look at the laws in the Ten Commandments from 5 down to 10, this would be our relationship between our fellow man. This would be us loving each other. This would be loving your neighbor as yourself. John also wrote this in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 21. He says, And this command we have from him whoever loves God must also love his brother. I think we can also uh, interject that this must here can also be used and say that we will also love our brother. You love God, you will love those that are your brothers and sisters. 
in Christ. Now Jesus not only referred to your neighbor as the Hebrew. More importantly, this extended as we read the work and finished work of Jesus Christ throughout all of the ages, throughout, throughout the New Testament, we will find that your neighbor isn't just the one living next door to you. Your neighbor would be your fellow man. Those you come in contact with day in and day out. Everyone. So, Jesus is a Savior for all types of people. And then His plan was to include all people. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that God saves everybody. But God will accept those of any color, creed, language. All types of people can come to Him. If He calls them, then they can come to Him. Now this was God's intentions from the beginning of all time. To have all tongues, tribes, nations worship Him with all of their being through Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And therein lies your triune power in, in existence as we see it. The Father given the law. The Son given the atonement. The Holy Spirit enabling the believers to do just that. It is impossible to love others with a genuine love and... When they know God, they are, they, are, they are intertwined. You can't disregard loving God and loving others. They are both intertwined. If you have a hard time submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have a hard time submitting to God, then by default you're going to have a hard time loving those uh, that are your brothers and sisters. You're going to have a hard time loving your neighbor as yourself. They're intertwined. Leviticus 19 and 18 says this, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord, he says. So this was written to the Hebrew audience, but it is still uh, applicable to us because we are God's people through Christ Jesus. So just because it was written to the Hebrew back in Leviticus doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to us because we are God's People. So it's still applicable. Jesus even said it. If you do not bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. Now just to take this a little bit further. We're going to go back to Anthony again. Remember the prayers at the beginning. He was, he was saying these awful prayers. about He wishes just somebody. He wants to pray somebody to die. So we're going to go back. And we're going to see a few, a few more of these. And like I said before. I wrote these down. And these are absolutely verbatim of what he said. And his prayer. Let me, let me read you what he says. As we just heard Jesus talk. Right? We just heard Jesus say. Love, uh, love God and love others are the two commandments. So he says this. This is his prayer. No one is, is talking to Noah. Not, not you. But another Noah. I pray for Noah to kill himself. And this is his prayer. I pray that he will kill himself. Just tell Noah to go and kill yourself in Jesus' name. And then ends it off with amen. That's not what Jesus was teaching. That's not what Jesus taught. He goes on, he prays this. I remember this is verbatim, straight from his lips. After eight months of his phony claims of suicide, I pray someone shoot Noah in the head and puts Noah out of him, uh, of, of listening to him. I have never prayed a more serious prayer. I think he's got something backwards there. Something backwards. Now, would I doubt his salvation? Hey, it's not my job to doubt his salvation. 
But there's something definitely wrong with a person that will pray that type of prayer onto anyone who they say are their enemies. They might not even be enemies. It might just be a misunderstanding somewhere. But never in my life would I ever think that I would hear a Christian pray such a prayer as that as a person to go and kill themselves. Just go out, kill yourself, get out of, you know, take, take yourself out. I would say something's definitely wrong with this wall. But to think that these commands that Jesus spoke to us are out of date or passed away is a horrible assumption. They are still applicable for us today. Jesus even said himself in Matthew 5, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven, who makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends the rain on the just and on the unjust, regardless of how uh, Anthony feels about those he deems his enemy, we still have a command from Jesus to pray for those who you think are in opposition to what you say. Even if I have an enemy, we are instructed by Jesus to pray for them. Just as we receive the grace of God undeserving, so they might receive the grace of God and one day be restored. One day they may be saved. If you're praying these kind of prayers, there ain't nobody going to hear you. Nobody's going to listen to your witness. There's nobody going to hear you if you say, I believe in Jesus and so should you. They will not hear you if you're praying and you're known as a person that hates his fellow man. They will not listen to you. Number three, there's affirmation by Jesus. We're going to read these in conclusion. The scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other beside him. And to love with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, to love your neighbor as oneself, is much more than the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So here's a a true, sincere seeker. I want to pick up on one point in here in closing. And that is verse 33. He says, The loving your neighbor as yourself and loving God is so much more important than the burnt offerings. It's so much more important than going through the motions. And I want to say something in regards to our service to God. Now, if you you don't take anything away from here this morning... Understand this point. It is not about our going through the motions. It is our obedience to Jesus. Our service to God is not warming a pew. It is not warming a pew. Our service to God is not getting up and coming to church on Sunday morning. It is not our service to God. The going through the motions. I, I hope and pray that we, when we come into His house, we are truly seeking His face. We are truly looking to worship. But as the scribe affirmed this here, it is not about the burnt offerings. It is not about the sacrifices. It is not about going through the motions. It is not about warming up you. It is about truly serving Him and worshiping Him. We come to the house of the Lord to gain our strength, to go out into the world, to serve Him. I'm going to end on this. John, Kenneth, Galbraith, in his autobiography entitled A Life in Our Time, he illustrates about a woman named Emily Gloria Wilson, which was his family's housekeeper. Now, it had been weary all day long and raining much like it is today, pouring down rain. 
He said, I asked Emily to hold all the telephone calls while I took a nap. I want to take a nap, he says. Shortly thereafter, the phone rang. It was Lyndon Johnson. You know, Lyndon Johnson, the president. The president was calling him. He was calling from the White House. He said to the housemaid, he said, Get me Ken. This is Lyndon Johnson. He is sleeping, Mr. President. He, he don't want to be disturbed. He is, he is sleeping. Well, wake him up. I, don't want, I want to talk to him. I need to talk to him right now. Wake him up. She says, No, Mr. President. I work for him and not for you. Well, that's a bold move, so to speak. He says in the autobiography, when he called back the president, that Lyndon Johnson could hardly contain himself. It wasn't in anger, but it was in pleasure. Because he says, and I quote, tell that woman I want her here in the White House. He wants her to work for him in the White House because she was obedient to the master. Well, so to speak, her, her housekeeper. She was obedient to him. God wants us to be obedient. If we are born again, that is exactly what we will do. We will be obedient to God. He has given us the ability to obey Him. These two commandments can indeed bring one to peace or shalom, an area of peace, because now this peace and rest comes through none other than Jesus Christ Himself. It is not the law. It is in Jesus. God wants obedience from us. If we are born again, that is exactly what we will do. Let us pray. Father, we humbly come to You in prayer and supplication before You. We ask You today that You would use these words and that You will speak to hearts and minds. Help us, Father, to love You more and to love others more. In the name of Jesus and by the power of Your Holy Spirit, we thank You in Christ's name. Amen. One of you will stand and sing with me. A hymn as we dismiss. Let's stand and sing as we dismiss without him. Without him I could do nothing. Without him I'd surely Without a sail, the altar is open this morning. Oh Jesus, do you know Him today? Do not turn Him away. Oh Jesus, oh Jesus. Without Him, how lost I would be.